Today's episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15 is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. We've got a surprising potential Noah Syndergaard development, and we'll take some lessons from a recent Dynasty mock. Like death and taxes, Dodger's been a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not had uh, three cold brews yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Wednesday, April 1st. I'm Al Melchior, and I am joined by Derek Van Riper and DVR. Let's get right to uh, our news items. We've got uh, a few of them today, and uh, I'm going to lead off here with the announcement from the City of Toronto that they banned public events through June 30th, but then there was a follow-up uh, statement from the city in which they specified that that didn't necessarily include sporting events. So when I first saw this DVR, I just assumed that, uh, okay, well, if we're not going to have the Blue Jays, uh, you know, there's any possibility there that they'll play anytime through the end of June. This doesn't really bode well, but um, I'm not sure that even with the amended statement that uh, I'm particularly optimistic about baseball coming back anytime soon. Yeah, I think it gives us a, a sense that this is not going to be a season that begins around Memorial Day, but more likely sometime closer to the 4th of July. Uh, I think there's still a lot that we don't know about the magnitude of the pandemic as it continues to move around North America. And until we reach a certain point, it's going to be almost impossible to make any sort of accurate projection. But uh, as major cities take steps like the one that the city of Toronto took on Tuesday, the pieces are starting to fall into place. You know, we're going to get more information in the days and weeks ahead. And I think the more I think about it, the less I think we're going to get more than, say, half of what would normally be a full season. Maybe there's some doubleheader manipulation with the schedule to get more than 81 games. But now in my mind, like 81 is that benchmark that I'm basically hoping for. I am too. Uh, I would be certainly happy with that. And of course, you and I have discussed in, in a recent episode about the various ways that Major League Baseball can try to cram in a lot of games in a shorter time frame. So, you know, this doesn't necessarily give us a whole lot more information. Uh, but again, I think just another signal that, you know, maybe we are moving, you know, more towards something like an 81 game schedule or, you know, if, if in fact we even get something that's that long or if it happens at all. So this is obviously going to be uh, something that develops uh, over the weeks to come. Uh, also, an interesting piece from Buster Olney uh, that came out, I believe it was on uh, Tuesday, uh, about Noah Syndergaard and basically uh, making a uh, sort of a prognostication that he thinks that Syndergaard might be non-tendered by the Mets prior to the 2021 season. Now, Syndergaard eligible to become a free agent in 2022. 
And so only thinking that, you know, teams are going to be very strapped financially uh, and that uh, there could be a lot more players and high-profile players non-tendered than we're accustomed to seeing. Yeah, it's something that I haven't really thought about. So the story uh, took me by surprise, but the more you, you think about revenue streams and how those are going to be significantly altered, uh, one way that, that teams are going to probably counteract that is to take high-priced players who are not under long-term contracts and and to move on from them. And I think with Syndergaard, it may also just be the fact that it could be the middle of 2021 before he's healthy enough to pitch again, too. So that sort of adds uh, to the cal- the calculus when it comes to deciding on how exactly he's going to be handled. But uh, yeah, it's it's really... It's really strange um, just to think about how things have, have progressed to this point with injured players, how things are probably going to change very soon in a lot of places. That's another one of the items we're going to talk about today. Uh, but the idea that Noah Syndergaard would be non-tendered prior to 2021 was something that had really never crossed my mind in my wildest dreams until now. Yeah, no, me neither. Uh, you know, even with the, uh, as you, you alluded to the fact that, uh, you know, he'd only be pitching a, a portion of the 2021 season, most likely uh, recovering from his recent Tommy John surgery. And uh, so let's stay on that topic because, uh, you know, of course, there was a lot of questioning about whether or not, uh, you know, it was appropriate for Syndergaard and Chris Sale, uh, just to mention, you know, a couple of pitchers that recently had Tommy John surgery, whether or not it was appropriate for them to get uh, what is widely seen as uh, elective surgery. But uh, in response to that, Dr. James Andrews has said that he's no longer going to perform Tommy John surgeries for the time being. That was initially reported by Alex Spire of the Boston Globe. So, um, you know, I think that uh, that could affect, for example, uh, Sir, Sir Anthony Dominguez, who is currently considering whether or not to get the procedure done. And, uh, you know, maybe that'll play a role into if he gets it done or, or when he gets it done. But, uh, you know, development that was probably going to be coming sooner than, than later. And also speaking of pitchers who have had Tommy John surgery, Jameson Tyone uh, has said that he is not going to pitch in 2020 regardless of what the schedule looks like. And Rob Beertemple of The Athletic has a, a fairly in-depth piece on that situation. So uh, definitely check that out. A very interesting read. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We're suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc, helping you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply, and you can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code BASEBALL at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com. Enter the promo code BASEBALL for 25% off your first order. Last week, I took part in a CBS mock head-to-head points dynasty uh, dynasty draft, um, and that's against a strange 
It's a, it's a strange and unusual format, but I think it gives us an excuse, or at least maybe I'm, you know, I'm going to make it an excuse for us to talk about dynasty strategy because that's not something we haven't really talked about in a while. So it's a good time to revisit it. And um, DVR, just in general, before we maybe get into some of the specifics of this dynasty draft, how do you approach that in terms of ranking players? Now, this one creates a little bit of an unusual challenge because because it's a head-to-head points format. It's not like you're going to be able to readily go out and find head-to-head points dynasty rankings. I think it's going to be hard to find and hard to generate yourself. But just in general, how do you go about that um, transitioning from redraft rankings to then drafting in a dynasty league? I think step one is to set up a goal for when you want your team to be competitive because if you're going to build a set of dynasty rankings, you want to have a plan for either competing right now or playing for the future. And I've seen Tom Trudeau as one of the best long-term dynasty league players in our industry. And he always takes the future focused approach where uh, I was in a draft with him two seasons ago, prior to the 2018 season. And he loaded up on Acuna and Vlad jr. And just from the top was just going after all of the elite prospects in the game. And that's kind of one extreme. And there were other owners who said, hey, this is a 20-team league full of smart people. I'm going to win right away while everybody else plays for the future. That's okay, too. You just don't want to be in the middle. And I think you can even set a different goal. It doesn't necessarily have to be three or four years down the road. You could say, hey, I'm going to win this league in 2021. And that shapes your strategy as well. So picking a lane in terms of when you're going to compete is probably the first step you have to take as you begin to transition from taking your rankings that may have worked for redraft leagues and start to you know, mold them and reshape them for keeper and dynasty leagues. Yeah. And I think there's another element there in terms of reading the room, uh, you know, cause you can come in with an intention to, to pick a lane, but in this particular mock that I participated in, there were some owners who were sort of like you were you know, describing, there were owners who were very aggressive right away about going after prospects. And just to set the tone here, Wander Franco was taken with the 19th pick overall. Um, and then, you know, that kind of did set the tone and, and other owners kind of went in and, you know, didn't want to get shut out of the top prospects. I waited until the eighth round to finally, you know, to dip my toes in that pool and get Casey Mize. But um, I sort of had two different uh, draft uh, draft lists, uh, you know, on my dashboard and what was just normal rankings. And then the other was um, I had the uh, MLB.com top 100 pipeline rankings. And when I saw that you know, top ten or so start to empty out. That's when I decided to dive in. So that was sort of my attempt to to adapt to the room. Yeah, I think that's important in any type of draft is being able to adjust up top to what the room is doing. We talked about the Tout Wars auctions uh, a couple of weeks ago, and when spending in an auction is off the charts high, being able to quickly decide: Am I also going to spend for somebody up top, or am I going to sit back and take advantage of some bargains in the second tier? Like making quick decisions is really important. Preparation is where you kind of give yourself the flexibility to do that. If you're unprepared and a room starts to do something unexpected, you're in trouble. You're, you're going to be kind of just stuck in between those paths that I described, and you're probably going to build a team that doesn't look great in the long run and doesn't necessarily have enough talent to get it done in the short term either. 
and you end up finishing sixth in a 12-team league, which is pretty much the worst in a dynasty league. Being caught in the middle right. is just the last place you really want to be. It's counterintuitive, right? If you're in last place, but you've got future assets, you're probably much better prepared for the future than if you're stuck in the middle with a, a sixth-place team every year. Yeah. Well, you know, and as you talked about that and kind of being stuck in in the middle, that reminded me of like Brewers teams from, uh, you know, years back that just seemed to win, you know, 83 games, you know, 78 to 83 games every year, Um, you know, and it's kind of hard to break out of that rut, uh, whether it's real baseball or fantasy baseball. Um, There's another element to this too, DVR, which is it's not only the prospects versus um, established veterans dilemma, but also how do you deal with major leaguers who, you know, aren't necessarily in decline and they're not prospects anymore. Uh, you know, so basically it's, you know, the players who are in the primes or approaching the primes of their career. And how do you weight the, you know, youth versus the more experienced within that kind of that middle group? And I'll give you an example. I did something I would never do in a, in a redraft league. I'm not particularly high on, on Glaber Torres, compared to the industry, but in this draft, and, and again, bear in mind, this is a, um, a, a points, a points format. Uh, so Xander Bogarts in a, in a redraft league, I would clearly value more than Glaber Torres, same for Trevor story, but I took Torres ahead of Bogarts and story, uh, thinking that he'd have more future value. So is that a move that you would, uh, you would endorse, uh, you know, is, is there a rule of thumb for dealing with this particular case of, um, of dilemma? Yeah. I mean, points leagues in particular are just a completely different animal. Uh, a point is a point is a point. So chasing steals that like we have to do in roto leagues kind of goes out the window unless steals have an exceptional amount of value. I think run production from middle of the order bats is probably the safest thing you can really look for like a high power good hit tool player like labor torres who's also in a good park and generally surrounded by a talented lineup should be a consistently strong player for years to come i mean seven eight years at least where he's probably uh, a top 50 or top 75 player at least as long as he's healthy that's the type of player labor torres appears to be for me um and i and i I'm with you though. Like in in a redraft league, I don't know if I necessarily am using what it takes to get him this draft season, in part because of his shortcomings, and in part because every league I've played in so far is a rotisserie league where stolen bases are really important. And I think, you know, there's still some growth to be done there. A lot of what Torres did last year was dominate the Orioles and then play just kind of at an average-ish sort of clip against the rest of the league. I don't think that's who he is as a player long-term, but yeah. I think it is a reminder that he's not necessarily a finished product just yet. Yeah, and that's, you know, therein lies the, the dilemma and and needing to pick a lane. So I think if I were really bent on, uh, you know, being a contender, again, if this were a real league uh, in, in 2020, uh, again, I probably would have gone Bogarts instead, so... Uh, anyways, I'm sure we'll come back to this topic uh, again and, and come back to other strategy uh, type of topics. Uh, but let's get back to our uh, out-of-the-park giveaways, which we've been doing now for a little bit more than a week, and we will continue to do that through this week. 
Our winner on Tuesday was Grant Pichek, who correctly answered Jim Palmer as the Hall of Fame pitcher who had a DNA test done uh, to see if he was related to the Kennedys. And really interesting story. I believe it was a Washington Post article that came out a year or two ago. So Google that. Try to find it. Uh, I don't have time right here and now to... uh, to summarize that story, but it's it's worth your time as a read. Really interesting stuff. Uh, so we have a new question here for Wednesday. DM your response to me at Al Melchior BB on Twitter at A-L-M-E-L-C-H-I-O-R-B-B. I'm going to extend the deadline. Our uh, our good friend Mike Beller made a, a good suggestion that uh, should make it a little bit later, give everybody a chance to answer. So um I'm going to extend that to 2 p.m. Eastern. I'll also tweet it out as a reminder. Here's the question. Which hitter had the largest year-to-year decrease in Fangraph's war over the last 10 years? So we did the pitcher version of this with ERA last week. So now we're asking, which hitter had the largest year-to-year decrease in Fangraph's war over the last 10 years? So when I say last 10 years, that's going back to the change from 2009 to 2010 forward, uh, which hitter had the biggest year-to-year decrease. So DM those answers to me. And in the meantime, uh, while we're talking about dynasty leagues and head-to-head points leagues, Scott White wrote a really neat piece about that very format and a league that he created in that format. I am a member, full disclosure. Um, so is Nando DeFino. Really, really fun league. And he writes about how he started it and why he started it. So if you want to start a dynasty league, a great piece to read. Uh, it's 2020 Fantasy Draft Prep, how the Scott White Dynasty League came to be and how you can have your own. So check that out on cbssports.com. And on that note, we're going to wrap things up here for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, we are running a three-month free trial, and you can also get 40% off a subscription by going to theathletic.com slash baseballin15. And everything that we produce, that is going to be included with your subscription. If you are listening to this podcast on a platform that lets you leave a rating and review, we uh, thank you in advance and would greatly appreciate it if you did take the time to do that. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier. We'll be back here on Thursday. Thursday. 